0: So I've been thinking about what I had said the other week, how we've never really had an entire Sunday morning of just worship. That's not something that I ever grew up with. The churches I was always in, it was you couldn't have a Sunday morning without preaching. If you don't have preaching, you're, you know, only heresy is happening there. I'm not sure what we were thinking, but that was what I grew up thinking. And uh, I've been thinking on it, praying on it. And here's what I've decided. In November, of course, is Thanksgiving. And what better day to just spend an entire morning on worshiping through song than the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So that is what we're going to do. In the past, I've always preached the message. Every Sunday morning, I have preached the message. And um, I I love preaching. I really do. And sometimes I, I almost always go back and listen to parts of the Sunday morning for sound quality just to see if there's something I'm missing. And I'll listen to part of me preaching and thinking, wow, you guys sure are gracious because I would not listen to me for as long as you guys listen to me. And so, I want to remind you that my desire for you is not to listen to me because there really is very little benefit in that. My desire is that you listen to the Holy Spirit today, as every day, every Sunday, that you would listen to the Holy Spirit. And I will do my best not to distract you from His voice. I will do my best that as I feed truth to this congregation, the Holy Spirit will have complete freedom, complete access to your heart. And that I would not misapply the truth, that I would not twist the truth that the Holy Spirit now has to do somersaults in your head to say, well, that's actually not what's going on. Let me show you what is going on in all this. I want to give it to you straight. I want to give it to you in context so the Holy Spirit can do something with it. But on that Sunday before Thanksgiving, it's going to be only singing, all singing. It'll be a combination. We'll have more than one special up here. We'll have a few people, a few groups singing some specials, and then a lot of congregational songs. So get your voices warmed up for that Sunday before Thanksgiving as we just sing the praises of God together and a reminder of supposedly why we celebrate that holiday. And it is not a looking forward to Black Friday. It is truly, we are grateful for what we've got. And I hope that on that Sunday, we'll be reminded that we are grateful For who we've got. First and foremost, God. And in those friends and family, the church that God has placed in our lives. And some of us need to be reminded to be grateful for the people that were in our lives. That have passed on. That God has brought them home. And it brings sadness to our lives during holidays. But Thanksgiving is a time to remember, I had them in my life. And for that time that I had them, life was good. And instead of being sorrowful for the time they are not here, be grateful for the time you did have and for the time you will have with them again in eternity that all believers will unite together as a family of God forever. And on that Sunday, that will be our focus. So I hope you can join us. If you've got plans, you're going to be out of the, out of the state. I, well, we'll love you and we'll see you when you get back. If you don't, then stick around. That's going to be a powerful Sunday. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. I completed the message in 2 Corinthians and uh, have not yet (laughs) (laughs) decided. Why are you clapping? (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. Amber, see me after class today, please. (laughs) James was like, how do you like it now, Mom, huh? Now you know how it feels. (laughs) So anyways, I finished 2 Corinthians. I haven't decided yet what... Oh, it's Accomplishment. Oh, okay. Okay, Amber. Sure. I haven't decided yet what book we're going to get into next, Um, but we are going to be in Acts for the entire month of October. Again, October is mission-themed, And uh, there's a lot of great books and a lot of great texts. By the way, not just the New Testament. There's some great texts in the Old Testament about missions and God sending people out, the prophets, both good examples and bad examples. And I preached through those in past missions months, one of them Jonah. But today... Uh, we're going to start a series with the early church, the first century church, something I've never done during Missions Month. I try not to preach the same messages every October. I try to change up because the Bible is full of so many applications. You don't have to go to the same text to teach on missions. The Bible's full of missions. And so we're going to do something Meriden Hills, at least as long as I've been here, has never done. And that is preach through the first part of Acts only, during October, and recognizing what is the mission of God. So as I stated before we started worshiping today, I'll be preaching today and next Sunday. Pastor John will take on the next couple of chapters for the following two Sundays, and then Pastor Justin is going to wrap up the final portion of this month with uh, one of the early chapters in Acts. So let's turn to Acts chapter 1, if you haven't done that already. Beginning in verse 1, "...the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus." Of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Alright, who's the who's the fellow that actually wrote down the book of Acts? We know who the author is, right? The author is God. Now, the author is God for every book. Every book of the Bible was given to, given to men by God. He was the source of the information. He was the giver of the information. The penmen were just the writers of the information. So you might say they're ghost writers at best because it's not their uh, information, right? Uh, they're just writing down what God gave them. So we have here a man named Luke. The apostle, I'm sorry, not the apostle, the man Luke was uh, also the penman of the book of Luke, wrote book of Luke and the book of Acts. And Luke was a fellow that uh, the apostle Paul met during his journeys, his missionary journeys, and we're told uh, throughout uh, that, that book that Luke seems to have been a doctor. So Luke is a very logical, black and white, critical thinker, uh, you know, scientific in how he approaches things. Uh, They have to be reasonable. Luke is not an artist by nature, you might say. I kind of feel like um, there might be some of those in the apostles group, some guys who are more artistic than they were mathematical. Uh, Luke is the mathematician guy. He's the guy that's like, give me the reasons, give me the logic, you know, give me the steps. And, and the book of Acts is kind of written in that way, where it's a, a historical series of events. And so Luke actually is not introduced to us in the book of Acts until uh, in about the middle, the middle of Acts, we find Luke. But he was given all of this information, even though he wasn't here, again, by God. Obviously, the Apostle Paul gave some of his own accounts, and I'm sure Luke spoke with the Apostle Peter and other apostles. He would have had that opportunity to do so. But ultimately, he was not just telling us what Peter said and what Paul said and and what young Timothy said. No, Luke is telling us what God said and had the opportunity to experience much of it himself, having been there. And Luke is writing to an individual called Theophilus. It seems Theophilus was probably... A, an important fellow. I think he had some political standing. Uh, when it says, oh, Theophilus, uh, and especially when it talks about it in Luke, it just, the, the way Luke refers to this guy seems to imply more than just a good friend. Seems to imply a, a guy who had some, some type of status in his community. So whether that status was because he's overly wealthy or a political position, we don't exactly know. But most commentators believe it was some political standing that Theophilus had. All right. So Luke is writing to him about the events of the early church. Why? Why is he doing this? So I believe that Luke is trying to show a good friend of his how powerful God is and how powerful the early church was. And I believe that Luke is trying to get Theophilus to consider joining God's kingdom. So from the very beginning, the purpose of the book of Luke is one of missions. I'm sorry, the book of Acts and Luke both because he wrote them both to Theophilus The purpose behind these books is to win over the heart of someone to God's kingdom, either for salvation or if Theophilus is already saved, then I can only imagine to actually get actively involved in what's going on. Maybe Theophilus has accepted Christ as his savior, but hasn't really determined what he's going to do in his life for Christ. And so I see these two books, Luke and Acts, being written so that this man, Theophilus, would make a decision, would do something with his life. Follow God, not just be saved, but then after being saved to serve the God of your salvation. And so what a great book for us to look at today and throughout this month, as many, most, maybe all of you in this room are saved, but what are you doing with your life? You know that you're going to heaven, but what are you doing on this earth? Verse two, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments. All right. So he says, before Christ was taken up, he gave some commandments. But not only gave commandments, we're told in verse 3, he showed them. What did he show them? He showed them himself, alive after his passion, after his resurrection, by many infallible proofs. I remember Luke, doctor, mathematician, uh, scientist, proofs, 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 right? Right? And so Luke is saying in verse 3, everything's good, don't worry, Christ gave us proofs. This is not a blind leap of faith here. Christ proved his power, proved his resurrection, proved his ascension by letting people witness his ascension. He didn't do it in the dark when no one's around. He ascended in the day when over 100 people got to watch. So by teaching, by proofs, he says, seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? A lot of people think the kingdom of God is heaven. And so that Christ was teaching to them of heaven. When I see the kingdom of God in Scripture, though, I don't see heaven. I see the kingdom of God is God's church. In the Gospels, when Christ speaks of his kingdom, the context is pretty clear. He's speaking of what's going on in this earth now. He says the kingdom of God is like this and that. And I can tell you, when I read it, it can't be heaven, <laughs> Because the illustrations he's using don't illustrate heaven. They illustrate life on this earth now. So the kingdom of heaven in the gospels, the kingdom of the heaven in the epistles are referring to the life of believers on this earth, how we ought to live it, what we should and should not do through it, our goal in it, our purpose for it, the whys, the what's, the who, that's the kingdom of God now. So before Christ ascended into heaven, what did he offer the the, the disciples and the apostles? Instruction of how to live till he comes back. Instruction of how to live till he comes back. Verse 4. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father... Saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Go to Jerusalem and wait, but only for a time. Because once you receive the Holy Spirit, then jump down to verse 8, then what you should do, now you go. And ye will, shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth." Christian, you wait until God gives you instruction, then you go. Too many believers are still waiting, and the firing gun has already been shot, and all the runners are racing around the, around the lap, around, around the field, and you are still waiting saying, should I go yet? Should I go yet? Should I go yet? Yes. It's time to go for God. It's time to move for God. The the apostles and the disciples, over a hundred of them, they followed his instructions. They went to Jerusalem in an upper room, they pray, to wait for the next step. And the next step was extremely obvious. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They start speaking in uh, uh, languages they're not aware of, foreign languages. and, And a great movement begins. And then, guess what? They don't go. No, they don't. Read Acts. Read the first few chapters of Acts. They don't go. They stay. Why would they go? Everything's awesome there. People are getting saved by the thousands. 5,000 saved here. 3,000 saved there. Another 5,000 saved there. Man, it's exciting times. Why would you leave? So they stay. And so God, in an effort to accomplish his will, you will find in the early chapters of Acts, allows something to happen persecution. And the early church experiences pretty severe persecution in Jerusalem, so much so that one of the apostles is actually put to death. Another deacon, faithful server of God is also killed, stoned to death. We are not talking like, oh, people raising their eyebrows and scowling at you as you walk by. Christians in Jerusalem are now starting to fear for their life. And now, because of persecution, you'll find in Acts, then they go. (laughs) They should have done it to begin with. I've often wondered, would the persecution have been as severe if they had followed God to begin with and had just gone when they should have? But they were so comfortable and they were so excited and what was happening here and now that they didn't follow God's instruction to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. But after persecution, they did. Christian, do not wait until persecution to go. And I'm not saying you need to leave Connecticut. I'm not saying you need to leave Meriden Hills, although if God's telling you to, you need to. But you can go to your workplace. You can go to your family. You can go on missions trips. You can go into the community. Let us go. Because I want to read uh, in in verse 8 one more time, and then we're going to move on to our message. Verse 8, to go where? Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. All right, go to Jerusalem. What does that mean? That means that God doesn't want everyone to go. Someone has to stay in Jerusalem. There is something happening. There is a movement. There is a revival. There needs to be Christians there to to work with those who are getting saved. So some go, and they go by staying, but they don't stay home. They go home to home within their community, and they go into the community. But then others go into Judea. That's the region. That would not be another country. That would not necessarily be another state. That would be your state, but going throughout that area, beyond your town, reaching other nearby communities, going to those communities. But then he says, beyond that, you need to go. Specifically, Samaria, which is interesting. He could have said Galilee. Galilee was a region even further than Samaria. So it's Israel's like this. It's Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. So instead of saying, go to Galilee, he said, go to Samaria. Why not Galilee? He doesn't mention Galilee at all. In fact, Jesus is from Galilee. That's his home region. He mentioned Samaria, I think, for a specific reason. The Jews didn't like Samaria. In fact, they downright hated and despised Samaria. So Christ is saying, not only go to your community, go to surrounding communities, and go to communities you don't like. Go to places you wouldn't necessarily choose for yourself because they need the gospel too. And then he finishes it by just saying the uttermost parts of the earth, which is, go everywhere now, right? That's Galilee, that's beyond Galilee, that's Antioch, that's Macedonia, everywhere. Now, go everywhere. Unfortunately, the early church gets so excited and wrapped up in what God is doing here, they lost sight in what God wants to do there. You see, what God is doing here at Meriden Hills, God also wants to do over there. What God is doing in your life and in your family, God also wants to do in the lives and families of others. Well, you say, well, then God should just bring someone. Yes, He should, shouldn't He? God should send someone. Wow, what an amazing thought. I wonder who that could be. I wonder who God could send. How about someone who has seen clearly how awesome God is? That's the one that should be sent. How about someone who's experienced personally the healing power of God? That's the one that should be sent. Wait, Russ, you talking about me? Am I? Is He, God, talking about you? Because this is where I want to step back and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. For as long as you're at Meriden Hills, I promise you as a pastor, we will have opportunities for you to go into your community. We will do that. And we will try to do more of it. As God continues growing this church, we will do more of it. We'll go from once a month to twice a month of that if it comes down to that. We will go into the community for as long as I'm a leader at this church. But God has called me here. Well, you say, Pastor Russ, if God's called you here, why can't I stay here? Because actually here for me isn't my home. My home is California. My wife's home is Florida. We already left our home to go. Now, I'll go again if God wants me to, but I don't see that happening. So I'm here. What about you? Will you go? Will you go for a time? Because not all of those that went left permanently. Some went and came back. Maybe that's you. This Mrs. Trip on Honduras, maybe God wants you to go, impact, and bring that impact back here. So this morning's message is equipped. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 throughout the morning. Well, I say throughout the morning. uh, I've I've got about 15, 20 minutes left that I'm going to preach this message. So I'm aware of the time, and I will make sure that this message is succinct, that the truths are clear. And giving the Holy Spirit the chance to speak to you. Equipped. Christian, you cannot deny that you have everything you need to go. If you deny that, then you deny your salvation. If you deny that you are equipped, then you deny the Holy Spirit in your life. You are equipped. You have everything you need in the person of the Holy Spirit. So there's no more reason to wait in the upper room praying. It is time to leave the upper room and to get out into the community and start preaching. To start living out the love of God and the truth of God. To go as far or as near as God asks you. And I see three points in this text. God's instruction, God's company, and God's power. So in the first handful of verses, which I've already read, I see God's instruction, Verse, uh, uh, letter A. God provided proof before he demanded faith, right? We read that, how Luke tells Theophilus that through many proofs and uh, through many instruction, he proved his resurrection. He proved his ascension for 40 days of day after day after day of proof. And then he said, now wait to go. But before faith was required, proof was given. You say, Pastor Russ, how do I know if God's about to send me me out? Well, I can't tell you exactly how that looks, but I can tell you this. You should be looking to be sent if there's an overload of proofs in your life. (laughs) If God starts proving himself, proving himself, proving himself, there's probably something he's about to ask you to do in faith. Can't guarantee that to you, but I do see that here in this text, and I see that in other books and other texts. That before God asks us to take a step of faith, there is often an overloading of proof so that our proof is not based in emotion. Our proof is not based in desires. Our proof is based in, I saw God do this, so I can certainly trust him to do that, which is unseen, which is yet to be seen. It is very hard to be a leader of any financial institution Profit or non-profit now, is it not? Very hard to be a leader of a home now. Inflation, post-COVID, so many known factors causing chaos, so many unknown factors that you're assuming will be chaotic. It is very hard. I'm going to tell you as a leader of this church, it is very hard to move forward for God with all these unknown factors. But I got to tell you, there's been 10 years of God giving me proof after proof after proof after proof. I'm not worried about the 11th. God has overloaded me on the proofs. I mean, more proof than I could need or possibly want. Why would I be bothered about the unknown? I'm not. The only reason you should be bothered if there there has not been proof, okay? You should be a little bothered. So say, God, hey, not trying to be facetious, not trying to act unfaithful here, but can you give me some of that proof then? All right, so Luke chapter one, I see the proof, then I see the faith. The proof comes before the faith, God, all right? It seems like you're asking something of me, That is going to take a lot of faith. I'm willing to do it. I just want to know that it's you. I want to know you're giving me the direction. I want to know you're the one sending me. So God, can you give me some of that proof? I don't need 40 days of it. That'd be great, but I don't need that. Whatever it is I need, you know, give it to me so I can step out in faith and I'll trust you after that. God's instruction. Before he even gave instruction, he gave them proof. Let it be. God's instructions are for the benefit of God's kingdom. So we see here in verse three at the end, And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. God's instruction in his word and our Sunday morning worship services are not for you to think better of me. If that is what is happening on Sunday mornings, you walk away thinking better of me, then I have failed you as a pastor. If you walk away thinking better of yourself, I have failed you as a pastor. Our goal as a church is to walk away from Sunday morning seeing God clearly and having a better view of what God wants from us. For his kingdom. His kingdom includes your spouse. His kingdom includes your children. His kingdom includes his church. His kingdom includes this community. And you are receiving instruction, I hope, from the Holy Spirit, not me, on what that looks like for you now. Because Christ, before he left, he says, you're going to be running my kingdom for me on my behalf. I'll I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be alone. But you will be the face of my kingdom. You will be the face of my heart. You will be the face of my hands and of my mouth. When people see you, it is through you that they will see me. So let me show you and let me tell you how that looks. God wants to send you, but He's sending you with instruction. Are you listening to it? Are you following it? Do you know what it looks like to represent Christ to the lost? Do you know what it looks like to represent Christ to the saved? And by the way, sometimes that second one's harder than the first one. Representing Christ to the saved can be very hard because we expect more of them. And we are quicker to churn on them when they don't meet our expectations. But that's not the heart of Christ. Represent Christ, He's given instruction. And then let her see God's instruction. His church, God's church, has been given clear direction. And what is that? To go. Verse 8, ye shall be witnesses unto me. We actually find at the end of the Gospels a, a, a different way, a variation of the way that this is stated. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm going to read that again, that last part. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That does not mean I am with you until the apocalypse, until the world ends. He's saying no matter where you go in the world, even to the ends of the earth, I am with you. You are not alone. Go. Go. God did not call you to Meriden Hills to wait. If you are here, you were called to go to your family, to your place of business, to your community, and some of you might be called beyond. I can't tell you that. I never would tell you that. God will tell you that. And I believe God will give you a series of proofs before asking you to step in faith. I believe that. I can't tell you that. That would happen. Definitely. That is how I see it happening. A series of proofs, then faith. A series of proofs, then faith. But your call is to go. If you are still waiting, you are not following the calling. The the apostles and the disciples only waited for a short time until the Holy Spirit was given to them. Then, again, they waited when they should have gone. Stop waiting and go. Number two, first God's instruction. Number two, God's company. So we just saw in Matthew 28, God says, I will be with you even unto the end of the earth. Letter A, we never walk alone. If God is going to send us, he is going to send us and then he'll follow us. He'll be with us. God is not sending you out where he remains. God is sending you out where he is. God says not so much you go as he says let's go. Let us go. Will you go with me? Will you be by my side as we go? Because I will be by your side. I will be by your side when that coworker of yours brings up brings up problems in their life to you. God will say, I'm by your side. This is the chance. Speak of me. You say, well, Pastor Russ, my company will fire me. Uh, look, you got to use some wisdom on how you have that conversation, but do not pass up the opportunity for that conversation. At the very least, you could say this. You know what? I truly care. I would love to have coffee with you after, after work today, tomorrow. Can we have some coffee tomorrow? Look, that is my status quo. Usually, I can't have conversations with people even in church because... I don't have the time. There, there's a lot of people here I need to. Talk, I, I want to talk to, that want to talk to me. So usually, if it's a conversation that requires any depth, I ask, can we get together over a meal, over a coffee? You say, well, Pastor Russ, I'll get fired. Not if you take him to coffee after work, you won't. There is an answer. Amen. And if it's a woman, say, you know what? My wife, you would love her. She, she could sympathize with you. Do you mind? I would love to introduce to my wife. The, how about the three of us? My wife and you and me. Can we get some coffee together? All right, so I'm not saying guys have coffee with these, with these women. I'm saying in some way, <laughs> connect with them that is healthy for them and for you. And bring someone with you that can help them. Go. Stop wasting the opportunity. These people want to gossip, but actually what they're doing is crying out for help. Hear the cry and go with God. That's your workplace. That's, that, you don't have to go anywhere new. Just go where you've always been going. And as I told you, on a regular basis, our church is doing events to show this community God loves them. Will you go with us as we go with God into our community? And then next summer, we're going to go to Honduras. We're going to go to a group of young kids whose families literally have abandoned them. Literally, mom and dad, usually just mom, has taken them to the park and said, let's get some ice cream at the park. And they take them to, this is an actual stories that actually happened. Four-year-old little girls taken to the city park And the mom gets her some ice cream and sits her on a bench and says, I'll be right back. And that four-year-old little girl eating her ice cream, mom doesn't come back, it gets dark, mom doesn't come back. Finally, a police officer shows up and says, come with me, because they recognize that girl's been abandoned and they take her to a home she's never known before and will never see her mother again. That story is so common, it's almost just cliche in Honduras. We're going to go to Honduras And show the love and compassion to those children. You say, well, what happens when we leave? Don't worry, we got a plan for that. There's a man, Chris Burkholz, who's going there now and is there now. And we're going to be supporting that ministry to support those kids. But is God calling you to go? We never walk alone. If you go, you'll be going with God. Letter B, God desires a deep connection, not a shallow acquaintance. Now we're back in Acts chapter 1. Looking at verse five, for John truly baptized, that word baptized means immersed, submerged with water. But ye shall be baptized, immersed, submerged with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. God says, when I give you the Holy Spirit, I'm not just giving you pieces, not just giving you a little bit. God says, I am liberal when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I'm giving you all. You know, it's often said, wow, I wish I had as much of the Holy Spirit as you. What are you talking about? It doesn't work that way. I wish the Holy Spirit had had as much as you as he does of that other person. That's what I wish. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit. You can only give more of yourself to the Holy Spirit who you have received fully already. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit is not in getting more of him. The power of the Holy Spirit is in giving more of yourself to him. Be still and know that I am God. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Stop shutting him off. Stop shutting him out. Stop shutting him up. All the way. Turn on the hose all the way. Because the water is there waiting. The Holy Spirit, the giver of, of, of life, the sealer of eternal life, offers living water to us in this life. It's there. He's, all of him is available to you. We are submerged in him. We are baptized in him. You're just turning him off. That's your fault, not his. God wants a deep connection. None of this, well, I go to church once in a while, and I know about God, and we sing some songs, and I, and I like calling myself a Christian, and I have a Bible that I never read and never open. No, no, no. That's a shallow acquaintance. That is a religious appeasing of guilt. That is not what God wants from you. If you're going to go, he's going to equip you, and the equipping is all found in the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up completely to the Holy Spirit. Stop turning him off. Hear what he has to say. Let us see. The more we listen to God, the more we gain from his presence. The more we listen to God, the more we gain from his presence. If you really want to benefit from the immersion of the Holy Spirit, then stop ignoring God when He speaks to you. I've been coaching basketball for many years. In fact, I just started back up again about four years ago. But before that, I coached basketball about six years ago. Before that, for a couple of years, then took a break and then coached again. I've coached a lot of kids in high school basketball. I am not the greatest coach. I think the, the, my greatest quality as a coach... The greatest strength I have as a coach is not my love of the game. It is not my knowledge of the game. My greatest strength is my love and knowledge of people and for the players. And that I'm really good at. I I actually love these players. I love working with them. And I I can get to know them a lot better as their coach. That's what I bring to the table. I'm just okay at the game, and I'm okay. I know the rules enough to direct them. But some of the teenagers come to my team here at MidState, and they think they know more than me. Now, I can tell you I don't know a lot, but most of them I know more than they do. I mean, come on, they're only like 13, you know, 14. They, don't, they can't know that much. By the time they're 17, maybe they do know more than me, like 17, 18. But I'm talking about the young kids, the young middle schoolers. They think they know more than me. And there's been more than one occasion over the years that I've coached where these kids, at 12 and 13, think they know more than me. And I say, no, that is not how you shoot a basketball. You cannot shoot it with two hands, all right? You've got to use one hand. You've got to put some arch on there. Okay, stop shooting it like and throwing and launching the thing. No, no, you don't play defense by jumping on the person. you got to give them some space and then you you follow them, wait for them to make a mistake, or pressure them into a mistake. You can't be tackling the person on the court, right? And so I coach them and try to give them instruction. I am there. I am there and giving as much instruction as loudly as my voice allows within reason. The issue is not that they can't hear me. The issue is not that I'm not giving them instruction. The issue is they refuse to hear it. So inevitably during the game, they're not playing. I may give them a minute just to kind of throw them a bone and say, you can have more of this if you start listening to me. Unfortunately for some, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't click. They keep jumping people on the court like it's football. They keep throwing the basketball like it's a shot put. They're not going to get a lot of playing time. And we as Christians have a God who is instructing us. We have a God, the Holy Spirit, who has so much he wants to offer us. And we say, I got this, God. Watch the magic. Watch me work. And God's like, what is wrong with this person? Christian, go with God in his company and take advantage of his knowledge and stop telling him you know what you're doing. You don't. Ask him what do you know and how should I do it? Number three, I see in this passage, God's power. Now I just see the mention of God's power in this passage. I'm going to refer quickly to other passages that are entire series, not three messages, three series of messages in and of themselves, which I have no plan on preaching this morning, but I'm going to allude to them in this text. We are told of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we get a glimpse into the power that he brings to the local church. Just a glimpse. As the apostles and disciples start speaking in unknown tongues to themselves in foreign languages and other people from other parts of the region say, wow, they're speaking my language. How do they know my language? And then someone else says, how do they know my language? And we're told in Acts chapter 2, so many people listening, so many people hearing So many people amazed that thousands get saved. We're told in uh, the end of Acts chapter 2, that uh, verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls in one day. All these pastors and churches trying to create a revival experience by stating we're having revival. Look, your statement of it doesn't make it true. Oh, but we put a revival sign out front. I don't think you know how revival works, okay? Signs don't bring revival. Uh, Well, we're having a a special speaker in, and this person everywhere they go brings revival. Huh, I thought it was Christ that brought revival. I didn't know a person did. I would love to meet that person They just bring revival with them wherever they go. And these churches are getting it wrong. And they're thinking because we had a revival week where they forced the members to come every night of the week and Sunday that everyone's going to walk away revived. Actually, you walk away more tired after that than you did at the first part of the week is how it actually works. Because in the Bible, you don't have a revival week to have revival. You have Christ who brings revival. Christ brings revival. And just a small taste of the Holy Spirit's power on the very first day brought three thousand souls to salvation. If that's revival, if that's not revival, I don't know what is. Because these believers opened themselves up to the fullness that God had to offer. So in Acts chapter one, we're told Christ states, "You'll have the Holy Spirit." And what does He say when you have the Holy Spirit? He says in verse number seven, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the father hath put in his power. Verse eight, but ye shall receive power. You'll get the power when you get the Holy Spirit. You will not get the power by attending Meriden Hills. We don't have the power. You will not get the power by hanging out with me. I don't have the power to give you. You get the power from God. Now, if enough of us have it, the power of God is here, but it's not because it's here. It's because He is here, and we've opened ourselves to His power. So I said I would allude to three series of messages when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. The first series of messages is found in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and with the Holy Spirit comes the armor that protects us. The armor of God, yes, but it is the Holy Spirit who represents God in our lives during this time who allows for that armor. And if you read Ephesians chapter 6, you will find things like truth and righteousness, the the peace, the gospel of peace. The Holy Spirit is bringing these things to our lives, instruction regarding truth, instruction regarding righteousness, instruction regarding uh, witnessing, which is the gospel of peace. He brings us this instruction so that we can armor ourselves with protection. Listen to God, so you know how to protect yourself. Going back to basketball, unfortunately, in the lives of young players, you'll find they're either really good at offense or really good at defense. Not many are great at both. At least not at young ages. They they grow into that. And so the ones who are really good at defense inevitably can't dribble the ball worth a lick. And they get a breakaway. I've had this so many times, both girls and guys. They steal the ball. It doesn't matter because they just give the ball right away back to the other team. Either by losing it, bouncing it off their foot out of bounds, or by bouncing it so high, the other team literally like, seriously? And they just take the ball right back. And so they're really so aggressive, so good at defense, the team's not even concerned anymore. We don't care if you get it, we'll just take it back from you anyways. And then there's some who are really good at offense. Like, they can shoot, they're really great, but when it comes to defense, defending their side of the court, like, they shoot, and then they're lazy, like, walk, and they jog back to their side, and they're, like, kind of doing this, like, all right, let's go. And the guy's like, really? just like, dribbles around, and the guy's like, oh, no, I didn't get it all. And so they just start walking back to the other side, hoping they'll get the ball so they can shoot again, because all they want to do is shoot over and over again. But defense, right? Defense wins ball games. And we as Christians are just like that. We're like, I'm such a great shooter. Oh, yeah, score, 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 so many great things. And your defense is weak. Your family's falling apart. Your life's falling apart. Everything about you is falling apart. You have no defense in your life against the problems of this world, against the emotional turmoil that inevitably happens because, you know, people, right? You're one of them. And our, our life is falling apart, not because you're not great at offense. Oh, you, you shine at offense. Oh, man, you can give the gospel. You can tell people of God's love. You, you, can, you can do things for the kingdom of God that other people say, yeah, that's awesome. Keep it up. But your defense, you go back home and it's a wreck. It's a wreck. The Holy Spirit says, that's not how I want us playing here, okay? Defense and offense both. Create a strong defense protecting the home front so you can get out there and do some more for me. Defense. That's Ephesians 6, all of it, Ephesians 6. Read it, study it, defend your home. Defend your heart. But not only does God's power offer us a strong defense... Letter B, God's power offers us a strong offense, right? He empowers us to go out. All right, so if we read in Ephesians chapter 6 of the the defense, the truth and the righteousness and and the faith, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, keeping your eyes on salvation, keeping your eyes on that blessed hope on heaven and keeping your focus on where you're going, not on where you're at. If all those things defend your home and defend your heart from attacks and from destruction, then what is the offense? The offense is the power of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us with what? His gifts. Now, there's not just one passage about this. It's found in the book of Corinthians and the book of Ephesians. And you find multiple passages that list the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God offers Christians to go. He empowers us to go, to accomplish, to do. And in Acts chapter 2, we see one of those gifts, the gift of speaking in tongues. But there are a whole lot of other gifts out there that God is giving you, that God has already given you. You already got it. You just don't know how to use it. I love the players that come on my team that are natural athletes. They just don't know how to play. They don't know the rules. They don't even know how to shoot the ball. But as soon as you show them, it clicks, they shoot, and they're making points. They don't know how to dribble, but once you show them, they dribble really well, and they're really fast. I love the natural athletes. You know what's great is the supernatural athletes, the supernatural ones, where God has given you everything you need. You just don't know you've got it. God has shown you how to use it. You just haven't been listening, so you're not sure how to use it. Once you put your eyes on Christ and listen to him and say, oh, I do have gifts. God has given me the gift of, of giving. God has given me the gift of, of teaching. God has given me the gift of, of um, mercy. Whatever that gift is, God has given it to you. Learn how to use it and now get out and go. You are equipped. You are empowered to accomplish. The Holy Spirit has given that to you. And finally, and we're done. Letter C. The Holy Spirit, what does he give us? Fruit to sustain us. Fruit to sustain us. And this is found in the book of Galatians. And this book is great. And this text is great uh, because it mentions to us all of the different things that God wants to offer his children as we draw closer to him. We're told in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That list is amazing. That list, if you read it, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. You will find that all those things are for your benefit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, faith. You benefit first from all the fruit of the Spirit. And then once you've benefited, you will find that those things, wait a second, no, but those don't just help me, exactly. Once you found sustenance from the fruit, from the food of the Holy Spirit, once He's, once he's sustained you with these things, once you felt deeply the love of God, and the patience of God, and the long-suffering, and the meekness, and the gentleness. Once you've experienced these things and found sustenance, the overflowing fruit now blesses those closest to you. And you will find that other Christians will start feeding off of the fruit in your life. In your life, God will sustain you, and there will be such an abundance of fruit, your spouse and your kids will feed off of that. And then your goal is to show them you can have your own source of fruit. You don't need mine. Obviously for a time that will be necessary for new believers, for young children. But eventually you show them you can get it directly from the source, God himself. God's power, the Holy Spirit, sustains you. The closer you are to Christ, the closer you are to the Holy Spirit, the more you hear Him, the more you can feed off of the fruit that He offers you found in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. So how about it, Christian? You still waiting? The time to wait has been long done. It's time to go with God. Let us Go with God. Dear Lord, I thank you for this passage. I pray the Holy Spirit would continue speaking to your people, that this would just be a conversation starter this morning, and that whatever conversation began in this room with your people would continue in the car, at home, in their prayer life. As they sing with the radio, that conversation would continue. Their hearts would be open They would be sustained. They would be empowered. They would find a strong defense all through the Holy Spirit. And they would see we are all equipped to go and that we would go. In Jesus' name, amen.